But this morning, we are talking about hope. And I'd like to start by talking about the hope that this world offers us. I mean, we mention hope a lot in our day-to-day lives. We talk about it for all sorts of things. Whenever I write a birthday card or a birthday message, I will often or pretty much always include, I hope you have a wonderful day. Or if I'm talking to someone who's about to take a test or an exam or submit an assignment, I usually say, oh, I hope it goes well. Or when I'm cooking or baking or making something new, I usually tell myself, gee, I hope this turns out all right. And then when the engine light comes on in my car and I have to take it in, I think like everyone at that time, I think, oh, I hope it's not going to be too expensive. We talk about hoping for things a lot. But the thing about talking about hope in this way is that when we say any of these sentences, when we say, I hope, we're using hope as a verb, which implies that we would be taking action. When we say, I hope, we're saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what, this is the action that I'm going to take on your behalf. I'm hoping for you, that this will be the case. And the beauty of saying this, of saying, I hope, blah, 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 whatever it might be, is that it sounds really nice, and it sounds like you're kind of going out of your way to make something happen for whoever you're wishing it upon. But the reality is, is that it's a completely, or it's often, a completely passive statement, because what action are we actually taking? I know when I'm writing a birthday card or message and I write, I hope you have a wonderful day, the extent of the effort that I'm taking to make that wonderful day happen is usually nothing more than writing those words. And when I'm wishing someone well on their test or exam and I say, I hope it goes well, the extent of effort that I've taken to make that happen is simply I've like formed those words and they've come out of my mouth and that's about it. Or when I'm hoping that my cooking or baking or making goes well, I don't change anything about what I'm doing. My process remains exactly the same. Those thoughts are just formed in my head. And when I'm hoping that the bill for the car isn't going to be too expensive, I take no extra effort to make that happen. The the words just kind of flow through my mind. There's zero effort from my part. And that's it. All of these niceties, these statements of hope that we throw around, are more often than not just empty air, really. And that's about the extent of the hope that this world offers us. The hope of this world is fake sentiments. It's words of empty air. It's unfulfilled niceties. The hope of this world is all just a front, just a show, really, because it has no substance. It has nothing behind it, nothing driving it. It doesn't require any action. Hoping really is just the adult version of wishing. And it all focuses on providing comfort and ease. I mean, we hope for things that are nice. Hoping in this world means hoping for something nice, something lovely, something that will ease stress or allow you to relax or bring relief. And that's why hoping in this world is like hoping for a wonderful day on your birthday or good results 
on a test or nice baking or small bills because these are all nice, lovely things that will bring comfort and ease. But this kind of hoping, it doesn't get us too far when the going gets tough. Now let's talk about the hope that Jesus offers us. It's Christmas time. It's the same familiar story every year, and it's a wonderful story. That after 400 years of living in darkness, a virgin would conceive a child, and God's people would receive their promise. In Matthew 1, Joseph, Mary's fiancé, he's struggling a little bit with the idea of being engaged to a girl who's pregnant with a child that's not his own. And he's thinking about calling off the engagement. And in Matthew 1, verses 20 to 23, they say, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The promise was Emmanuel. God is with us. And at Christmas time, we are reminded of Jesus' imminent arrival. We remember the waiting of Israel, how God's people waited on a promise that hadn't come with a time frame. And we are reminded that the promise was, in fact, fulfilled. The baby arrived, the light had come. We remember the waiting of Mary and Joseph as the baby grew within Mary and they anticipated the baby's birth. And we are reminded that the baby arrived safely and they named him Jesus, which means God saves. And he was Emmanuel, God with us. The hope of the story is in the waiting It's in the anticipation, it's in the expectation that God would move, that God would come. Romans 8 verses 24 to 25 remind us, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. The hope of the Christmas story is in the waiting It's in the anticipation. It's in the expectation that God would move, that God would come. And because of the story, we don't have to hope in vain. We know that the baby arrived, that they named him Jesus, and that he grew and he showed us how to live, and that though he walked through the valley of death, he rose again three days later declaring death defeated. Our hope is tangible. It is real. It has substance because it's built on action taken. We hope for what we don't yet have, but we wait patiently and confidently because we know what the end of the Advent season brings and we know the truth of Emmanuel. God is with us. 
Now, how about we talk about what Jesus' hope should look like in this world? 1 Peter 1 verses 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In the original Greek text, the word that's translated as alert is a term that describes a physical action, one that they often took um, in the near ancient Near East time. And it was when the people gathered up their long outer garment and they tucked it up so that they could get down to business or get into whatever they were doing. Farmers did it when they were heading out into the fields. Soldiers did it as they headed off to battle. And runners did it, hitching up their garments so that they could run their race unhindered. And Peter himself, he did it in John 21 verse 7 when he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water in order to swim to shore to see the resurrected Jesus. It's the same word and the same imagery that is used in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. The message version translates this verse, so roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Christian hope, the way Jesus' hope exists in this world is a hope that is unafraid, completely unafraid of hard work. It's a hope that's ready to roll up its sleeves and get stuck in. Christian hope doesn't just clothe itself in niceties or politeness. It's completely countercultural in the way that it doesn't shy away or hide from the pain or the hard work or the trouble by offering simple statements. Instead, Christian hope runs headfirst into all of this gory stuff. It rolls up its sleeves and says, okay, where can I help? Christian hope doesn't skim over the hard stuff. It isn't like the world's hope that falls over the moment things get tough. Rather, Christian hope acknowledges that this life is too often filled with pain and suffering. But it allows those who trust in it, who know this hope, to stand tall with dignity amongst pain and suffering because they know the truth. And they embody the truth of Emmanuel. God is with us. And to finish, I want to share a story of Christian hope of Jesus' hope existing in this world. I have some friends who I met up in Auckland when I was at Bible College, and this is their story. They got married a year before Josh and I. They're the same age as us, so they're now in their mid-twenties. And in the weeks leading up to their wedding, they went through the process of registering themselves as foster carers. They had some young cousins who'd been removed from their parents' home, and they now were placed with their grandparents. And so this young couple became registered carers so that they could offer respite care to um, the grandparents who'd had to take on the grandchildren. So at that time, they were in their early 20s, and they cared for these three cousins, and they loved them, and they had fun with them. 
This couple then signed up with a fostering agency to make themselves available for any children as respite carers. A family of three siblings soon were regulars in their home, spending the weekend, sometimes spending a whole week or two. And it was to give their carer a break. And she soon said, look, I can't care for these kids permanently anymore. And so this young couple put up their hands and said, okay, let them come to us. The kids were four, seven, and 14 when they arrived. And that was in early December last year. The three kids moved in with them, and they became their parents. When the kids didn't sleep at night, they got woken up. When they needed the doctor or the dentist, this couple had to take them. When they needed new clothes or anything, this couple shopped for them. It was like an instant family. That also meant that when the kids acted out at school, this couple had to go to meetings to talk about how to resolve things. It meant that when the kids acted out because of trauma that they'd faced in their short lives, these couple, this couple had to be there for them. And it also meant when, the, when lockdown came, this, these young couple, they were locked down with these kids as a family, and they navigated online schooling, mood swings, and tantrums together. And then when the oldest sibling had to move out, and go to another home for reasons out of their control, they had to wear that, and they had to walk the younger two through it. But they also got to walk through, and they got to see the transformation that began in the younger two. They got to see the smiles, hear the laughs, notice the growth, recognise the development, and they got to experience the hope. Their care was making a difference. Their steadfast love and their careful patience with these kids was changing things for them. They were really becoming a family. So you can imagine the mixed emotions when they got a call from the social worker to tell them that the kid's biological mum was doing well, recovering from her addiction, and would soon be back on her feet and able to have the kids visit her. And this couple, they were so pleased to hear that the mum was getting back on track, that she was growing and developing, and they really believed in the goal of the system to reunite and restore families. But in restoring that biological family, it would be destroying the family they'd created. But the young couple, they continued to walk head on, into what they knew would come, and they loved the kids as their own the whole way through. They were diligent in driving the kids off for weekend visits, and they were diligent in packing bags for them when those visits turned into overnighters. And they also remained diligent in doing all that they could to ensure that this process, that what was happening would be in the kids' best interests, that it would be what was best for them. They were a little bit weary of this plan to reunite the family so soon and whether it would serve the kids well. But when they got another call to say, yep, the mum's ready, the kids will go back to her, they knew that they ultimately were quite powerless to the system. And so all they could do was their best to prepare. My friend described it as a train that you know is coming straight for you, a train that you know will hit you, but there's nothing you can do about it. 
And so all they did was pray and pray and pray. They prayed that the mum would be strong. They prayed that her circumstances and her relationships would remain stable. They prayed that the kids wouldn't have to move too far away so that they could stay in the same schools. And they prayed that they would still be able to be there for them in a way, a positive and encouraging influence, if even from afar. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed that the kids, that they wouldn't get hurt again in this process. And then just like they knew it would, the day arrived just yesterday. It arrived six days before Christmas. The kids got picked up yesterday afternoon and returned to their biological mum to just go on with their lives. And my friends, this young couple, once again, they're just a young couple, just the two of them. The train has certainly hit. There's pieces everywhere, pain everywhere, devastation everywhere, and there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. Though if you asked them, if they'd do it again, if they'd offer the same care and go through this again, they'd say yes in a heartbeat. And I keep asking myself, how can they do that? And why would they want to do that? Having been through what they've just been through, how could they do it again? Why would they want to go through that again? But it's because they know Christian hope. They know what it is to roll up their sleeves and to get stuck in no matter what. No matter how messy or how awful it's going to get, they know that that's how you spread hope. They know hope because they know a Messiah who came into this world. God is with us, Emmanuel. They know a Saviour who came to save people that hated him, who turned their backs on him, who were actively out to get him. They know a saviour who walked through the darkest valley and rose victorious on the other side. They know a saviour who rolled up his sleeves and got stuck in even though he knew it would be messy and it would be awful. That is the hope they know. And that is the hope they saw and the hope that they still see despite everything. That God would send his son, a baby, so pure and full of light, to be born in animal quarters in the middle of the night and laid in a manger so that we would know, Emmanuel, God is with us. On the highest mountain, And in the lowest valley, Emmanuel, God, is with us. Hope came to us at Christmas time. And now it's our turn to live in that hope. Not to live in the empty hope that this world offers, but to live in Christian hope. To be the existence of Jesus' hope in this world. Now it's our turn to hitch up our garments and tuck them in so that we may run unhindered towards the grace that is gifted to us as Jesus is revealed to us. And I'm not sure if this is really specifically a Christmas message. Maybe it's more an Easter message or an any time of the year message. 
but it's a message of hope that was fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's pray. Emmanuel, God with us, show us where you may be found today. In each human birth and family joy and relentless tragedy and treasured babes and homeless families. Emmanuel, we rejoice that you are with us in everything, through everything. Lord Christ, be born in us today. Word of God, become flesh in us that we might live your gospel. Light of the world, shine in us and through us for the sake of your world. Loving God, help us to see your grace, hear your voice, and follow in your way through Jesus Christ, our Saviour.